Welcome to the VIP Jazzwell Report, the report that asks insightful questions and gets revealing answers. Before I introduce my guest, let me ask you this. Is your success as a leader determined by how you eliminate your enemies or by how many followers you have? Is leadership a talent that one is born with or is it a skill that one can acquire? And is leadership a quality that is defined by power over people or is it a power with people? Our guest today is Dr. Henry Cloud, who specializes in combining human behavior, business leadership, and neuroscience to build leaders for today's world. Welcome to the VIP Jazzwell Report, Dr. Cloud. Great to be with you, VIP. Well, sir, let me start by asking you, how do you define leadership in today's world? Well, you know, there's a lot of different definitions out there, but ultimately the way I think about it is leadership is about bringing a vision to where it has real results in the real world, something tangible that we can count. And that requires influence. What leaders basically do is that they exert influence with a group to get something from A to Z. That's the simplest way of doing it. Well, before you can lead others, do you think you have to learn to lead within oneself? I mean, leading requires a call to action because, like you said, it's results-oriented. So if one is lazy, then you cannot expect action from others, am I right? No, you you look like that failure launch generation that's trying to you know lead themselves with spending all day on the couch, and that that doesn't work. But when you're you know this concept of leading oneself up is is a really really important one, and there are neurological and even you know there's brain reasons for this. Basically, the difference between us and a German Shepherd is that a German Shepherd barks, but a German Shepherd never observes himself and says, gosh, I wonder how my barking's going. Is it too loud? Is it right? Is it helping? Is it disturbing the people in the house? Is it actually doing a good job protecting them? The, it, it, it doesn't evaluate itself. Now, humans have the capacity, if they will build it and engage it, of having what we call an observing ego, the eye that looks at the eye, you know, the eye that looks at me. Right. And and here's what happens. Leaders that are just leading and they're working and they're pushing things forward and this, that, and the other, and they're never leading themselves, which means observing themselves and asking how am I doing and getting mechanisms to find out how am I doing, then they're pretty much like a German shepherd. And what we find is that's the kind of wake they leave behind them. And the great ones have structures and times and places where they have observational capacities. They use coaches. They have, you know, feedback mechanisms. They get 360s. They get input. And they they actually begin to get in the pilot seat of making sure that they are leading themselves. Now, leadership, you know, it's very hard to quantify. But the only way that I would think you can quantify it is by the results you achieve. Right. It, it, that's true. And and the problem is, in so many leadership circles, is it is that people don't look at all of the results. And, and the way that I like to think about this in a simple way for leaders that I work with is that if you picture a boat that goes across a lake, a boat leaves a wake behind it. Okay? The wake is the result. What you leave behind is the results, are the results, and there's a wake. Now, here's what you've got to do. You've got to recognize as a leader that there are two sides to the wake. One side 
are the numerical or the tangible or the work-oriented metrics of the results. Did we increase market share? Did we increase value? Did we make a profit? You know, however you measure it. So there's the task side of it. But the other side of the way that is just as important because the two are related is the relational side of it. You know, you might have made the numbers, but if you kill everybody in the process, then they're not long for the wear, or they're not going to be around very long, or they're not going to perform. And this relational side of the way is another way that leaders must ask, what kind of results am I getting on that side as well as the numbers? Well, you know, if I look at history, the leaders we've seen, like Winston Churchill, Margaret Thatcher, even Steve Jobs, it seems leadership is something you're born with, not something you can acquire. And you may be able to copy a skill set that they have, but it's not something that's going to be an original version like the leaders we've seen in the past. So my question to you is, is, is leadership a matter of chance? Is it a, a, an issue of talent? Is it, is it genetic? Well, you know, it's kind of all of the above. I remember one time, you know, I grew up a competitive golfer, and, and Gary Player, back when I was a kid, was the greatest sand player ever. I mean, he was unbelievable out of a sand trap. And and one day he's at at this tournament, and he, he, he hits a shot out of the sand, and he makes it. It goes in the hole. This lady in the gallery says, wow, that was a lucky shot. And player turns to her and says, yes, ma'am, it was. And he said, you know what? The more I practice, the luckier I get. And it is it is both what you've said. What we know is that that there are genetic temperaments. There are genetic drives. There are genetic cognitive styles that people are born with that basically, you know, <laughs> Tiger Woods and I just don't have the same genes. He's got stuff in the equipment that is that I'll never see, right? And so there is something you're born with, and there's this chip. And there are various kinds of leadership chips, too, by the way. But there's something people are born with. But there are disciplines and practices to leadership. And what we find is that some people have the leader gene, but they haven't done the practice to where they are able to execute those strengths in ways that actually get results. And what they end up doing is getting in their own way. So it is both. Well, you know, let's take it down to, let's break this down into, like, say, the large, in the world of large corporations. There exists a great amount of corporate politics. Right. Uh, within this world, there are people who fear anyone else's success because it might compromise their own position. Right. How can you lead in this situation? I mean, how do you lead when you're faced with jealousy, backstabbing, and people who don't want to see you get ahead because the leader's always walking ahead? Well, you know, it's a really important question because that's the way the real real world works. And 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 the first thing I would say is, you know, there, it, it doesn't have to be that way. Now, I'm going to answer the question for when it is, but it doesn't have to be that way because a culture is really built and set by the leaders at the top. And there are companies that have those kind of politics and teams and departments and all that that have toxic kinds of politics, but there are organizations that don't as well. So I would start there. Now, once you're in one, though, and you find yourself there, you know, a couple of things are very important. When a Navy SEAL, you know, lands behind enemy territory, he asks himself three questions. Where am I? 
where's the enemy and where's my buddy? And the first thing you got to do is you got to get a read on kind of what reality is around you and take the rose-colored glasses off and see, you know, where am I really and what's the situation in my business, in the politics, et cetera. Then you got to figure out who can you trust and who who can't you trust. And what you do with the people that you can't trust is you basically you have to manage them and you find out the strategy to manage them, but I would say this, in a way that you don't become like them. And here's what I mean. The best way to transcend political junk is to be above it and to serve people. And what we see is those that serve people well and that transcend all the politics and take the high road – that really does more to expose the bad guys than anything. And so you draw a contrast between how you operate and how they operate, and then you make the alliances with the people that that you can trust. And when you begin to do that, what happens, you know, it's like the change agent literature shows us they're basically going to be three people, three groups of people, that surrounds you. You know, one group are the ones that are going to join you. It's going to be good, and that's that's great. The second group is they're on the fence, and they're skeptical, and they got a little bit of this political stuff in them, and then they kind of don't. But they can be won over when you develop trust. The third group is the ones that you have to worry about that you can't. And basically, there's you know three tested strategies with those. You either distract them so you get them off on something else that you know doesn't kind of interfere with you the second one is you expose them and the best way to expose these people is to bring them into the circle and and make every you know get everything around the table and you process things and you talk about issues and what you're going to see is if you bring them in enough everybody's going to see it and they get neutralized or the third one is you get rid of them and that's kind of the way you deal with it. But that's more managing your own safety, like the Navy SEAL across the border. It doesn't necessarily make you a leader. Well, it, it, it's no, it's it's not just managing your own safety. You know, a Navy SEAL is not a victim that has that's been invaded. A Navy SEAL is on a mission. They are leading towards an objective. But what I'm saying is, when you're going to lead. You've you've got to fi- figure out who's with you and who's against you, and what reality is because because as I said, if you take a spot where you begin to transcend the politics and you begin to serve people, then what's going to happen is you will begin to lead. And when people above you and parallel to you and below you begin to see you as somebody, and you can't be one of the two, you got to be both of these, somebody who is competent and brings something to the table and somebody who is, who is there with your best interest in mind, what's going to happen is you are going to gain trust and you're going to gain buy-in and you're going to neutralize and show the pettiness and the junk of other people, and yes, you will be leading, and people will start to follow you. I could be wrong, but I think in today's world, you need to be very shrewd. You need to be ruthless if you want to lead. Um, You know, you can lead by getting others to follow, but it's also important, I think, to eliminate your opponents in order to clear the way ahead. Don't you agree? 
That's exactly what I said. That that there's 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 three groups, and the third group that you got you, your your real opponents is there's three ways to eliminate them, and you're exactly right. You distract them, or you expose them, or you cut out the cancer. And 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 one of the things that's very very important, I think, for leaders, and one of the things I, I you know with CEOs and others that I I spend a lot of time uh, you know teaching and coaching and developing them on, is is helping them to diagnose character. And once you begin to have the skill of knowing who's trustworthy and who your real opponents are versus the people that you can trust, then you're you're 90% of the way there because now you know where your alliances need to be. Well, if you've got the average Joe and he wants to transform himself into a leader, what two steps would you recommend? Well, if average Joe wants to transform himself into a leader, I would say to Joe, Joe, ha- you know, have something that people want to follow. You know, the, the, the basic thing about leadership is that we follow people that we perceive as having power. Now, what I mean by power is not necessarily domination or aggression or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. We're not talking about, you know, somebody that that is at war. What I mean by power is that there is something that they possess that we want to follow. It can be intellectual power, competency, technical power, managerial power, vision, creativity, innovation. When you, But nobody's going to get followed unless they bring something to the table that really knocks people off balance. You know, when the great innovators show up, their idea just knocks people off balance. And when people are off balance, they look to get back, you know, on two feet, and so they grab a hold of you because you're, it's your idea that's so powerful. And so that's the first thing that guy's got to do is get competent in something, get strong in something. But then the second thing you got to do if you're going to lead is you got to be able to build alliances. And that means that you have got to, to really, really, really look at are you trustworthy or not because people are going to follow leaders that they trust and the way that trust is built is that that leaders basically the first thing they do is they connect with people to where the people feel like the leader understands them and what they need you know bill clinton got elected just by connecting where where people feel felt like they under he understood them he went around the country and said i feel your pain Remember that? And people felt like, wow, finally somebody understands my plight and they're going to lead me out of this. And so it's important that leaders are able to communicate to people that they really understand where they are, what the issue is, what they need, and and they feel that with them. But then they've got to be able to communicate their intent and their motive. And people will buy into people and trust people when they see the intent and the motive of where they're going and why. And then they got to, again, they got to believe in your competency and your capacity. And lastly, you know, the care, and include that's the character piece. And lastly is the track record. And when you're building a track record, people tend to follow. Well, with this power and leadership, it's a chicken and egg situation. Because in today's world, I think... You need to be given power first before you can lead. And here's why. With power, you make things happen. You know, if you achieve success, you're considered to be a great leader. 
you look into the world of corporations, you know, people do not have the luxury of time to be going around trying to convince others to their way of thinking. Right. Time is precious and success was required yesterday. If you have the power, you enforce your strategy. And if it works, then everything falls in, everything else falls into place. You know, I've been in situations where I have to achieve my goal for the good of the company. Before accepting the goal, I always ask one thing. Am I empowered? Once I have that and the goal is achieved, I'm automatically considered to be a good leader. It doesn't, isn't that how the system works? Yeah, it, it is. But, uh, you know, the thing about it is you, you, you've got to look at the definition of power because there, there's institutional power, you know, where you can get granted, you know, the empowerment from on high to make these decisions and marshal resources and all that kind of stuff. And like you said, once you're given that, then you can go do it. But, see, what I would ask is how did you get that to begin with? And, see, it, 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 the first step, you know, Somebody doesn't show up on the door of a corporation and somebody say, okay, let me draw straws. I'm going to give you power, and now you can become a leader. They got that gift of power by developing their own power first, which wasn't a position. It was competency and influence and service and bringing value and having something that people needed. And so it is a chicken and an egg, but it's not just that somebody's going to take a baton and give you a checkbook and say, okay, you're ready to go wield the axe here. Well, you know, Sun Tzu, the great warrior, said that one has to lead by example and not by force. Yeah. I don't see a lot of those scenarios these days. I mean, I'm not sure how it applies today because in the past, people were not so educated, so they were more inclined to follow. Now, people are more educated. They have a mind of their own. You know, as a result, it's harder to convince a large group of people to your own belief. It's far easier to just make them follow your instructions if you want to achieve your vision. And I believe this is what Steve Jobs did. You know, we discussed that the other day. He removed the various opinions from his executives on the, for the road ahead. He mapped out the boundaries, and through that he achieved success for everyone. Right. And, and Now, to, to, just to understand you clearly, are you saying that you don't see a lot of people leading through example today, or you do? I don't. Well, I would say that, that there are great examples of this, in terms of, um, you know, it, if you take Jobs, for example, right. um, nobody would want to copy his, his, some of the relational side of his leadership. You know, some of it, you, you actually would. You know, some of the things he did was he, he created deep alliances and he engaged and he inspired and he pushed people and there was a lot of good stuff to that. The other side of it was that, that he did have, you know, some, some kind of psycho patterns that actually drove people away and did some, you know, pretty destructive stuff. But if you look at leading by example, if you take, take him for example, what are the things he did? Well, he led the example of he was an enormously engaged force. And, and that is a huge example of when people look at you and they say, well, this guy's throwing everything in. He's all there. He's there. He's, he can't wait to create the next product. He can't, he can't get enough design, for example. And he modeled a bunch of stuff like that. You know, if you take, for, for example, um, and I'm going to pronounce his name wrong, but who's the guy? Is it Elon Musk? 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 The guy that started Tesla? And SpaceX. And, That's right, Elon and, Musk. Yeah, okay, so if you look at him, I mean, this guy 
what he has done in in pulling things out of the ashes and the perseverance and the never say no and the wanting to build a space company we didn't know anything about space and he goes to Russia and starts to try to buy their old rockets and and figure out how do you launch a rocket I mean the the drive the passion the inquisitiveness the can do attitude going and and bringing Chrysler in or, or whoever it was as the partner when the thing was bankrupt. That is leading by example. That's not somebody, you know, sitting in a Wall Street office just just yield, wielding a pen. Well, here's where I'm confused. I mean, we, you know, with Elon Musk, I, I would brand him as an innovator. I would brand Steve Jobs as an innovator, not necessarily a, necessarily a leader. They might be producing a product that's a leader in, in that particular genre. But like, you know, when Steve Jobs invented the iPod, it was basically, effectively, a digital Walkman with a spreadsheet. Right. You know, but, um, which actually leads me to ask, is, is so-called leadership defined well, by short but, moments of glory? But, but hold on a second. Let, let's go back to that. Okay, if you, you don't necessarily say they're a leader, but wait a minute. If our, our, our definition of leadership was bringing about a result in the real, a vision, having a real result in the real world. And if you are an if you're an innovator, right, right, and you're just kind of thinking up the new thing, if that doesn't end up with a real result where you can buy it in a store all over the world, then it's not. It it's a fantasy. It's not. It's not real innovation. And and you can't say I don't think that 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 somebody that you know if you take 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 Elon Musk for example, it, just to call him an innovator would I think miss it because if you go out there and look, there is are huge organizations now at work building things and creating things and taking rockets to the moon. That is leadership. Now here's the difference. It's leadership through innovation. And that was his power. And that's what I was saying earlier, that there are different styles of this chip we call leadership. Some lead, exactly like you said. Their power is is innovation, and people people will will hop on that. But other people lead lead in other ways. Not you know, if you take Jack Welch for example, we wouldn't call him an innovator. We would call him as a leading through basically managerial power. See, that was his chip. And so, again, it comes back to getting that somebody has something in their power that makes people come along that builds something bigger than themselves. So effectively, the the, the determination of a leader is how it can impact society. Say say it again? The definition of a leader could also be how it impacts society. Yeah, again, that's the wake. You know, a leader is going to leave a wake behind them. Sometimes it's society. Sometimes it is in a in a body of thought that, like you're saying, will ultimately affect society. But there's there's got to be some sort of result at the end of the day that affects, like you're saying, you know, the people in the real world, society. Now, you know, I look at the business school curriculums. I look at the school. My son goes to school. Um there is no separate subject on leadership in its purest form. 
Um, a great leader, like we discussed just now, uh, needs to be able to be ruthless, cunning, shrewd, all these qualities which go against any educational establishment's conscience, it seems. Well, there there are a lot of programs that have, have pretty dedicated, you know, leadership tracks, especially when you get kind of on, you know, the the business side of things, and, and, and more and more schools are dedicated to that. It's a very commonly used word. Right. It's a commonly used word. Now, that's where the rubber meets the road. When you look at, you know, what do they actually learn? And, and you know, it's interesting, Vip, I find that that, by and large, companies have much better dedicated education to leadership than most of the academic institutions because companies know companies that do well they know that basically it all depends on leadership and developing leaders and building leaders and so i think you're right i think that that the the there is a dearth in the general kind of way we think about business uh you know training and academia that doesn't give leadership its its uh, you know uh, proper weight or value because that's what it's going to rise or fall on. Well, the absence of that makes your service that you provide very valuable. The the absence of that makes what your service that you provide very valuable. Well, that's what they tell me. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's um, it's. It, it's just kind of the forgotten part a lot of times because, you know, if you think about it, nobody really starts out, you know, at, at 23, 24 years old and says, okay, I better spend, like, a lot of my effort growing as a leader. No, that's not what they're doing. What they're doing is they're spending a lot of their effort growing in some field of expertise. They're learning marketing or they're learning, you know, technology or they're learning sales or they're learning management or something and they're becoming extremely competent on the hard side of the business. Now what happens is as they exert that competency along the path, then they're given more and more responsibility until one day, sort of like the sun comes up in the morning. You never quite know when it gets daylight, but the dawn is coming up. All of a sudden, they look around, and what they're doing has gradually become less technical or less operational or less, you know, numbers-oriented, whatever, the hard side of it, and now they're actually, what they're doing is they're leading people. So they're not working on the motherboard of the computer anymore. Mm-hmm. What they're doing is they're managing or running a factory or company that makes the motherboards. And so it's exactly what you're saying. Of That's why this kind of, of work does have huge value because where, where leadership, you know, coaches and consultants step in is in that gap when people have to, have to move from basically doing things to getting things done through people, and that's leadership. Now, you've got a book coming out, Boundaries for Leaders. Boundaries for Leaders. It comes out uh, next Tuesday, I think it is, the 16th of April, and I'm also doing a a simulcast, um, a two-hour live event on Wednesday, 
Uh, people can go to boundariesforleaders.com and find out about that. You can watch it for your team or your company or whatever, and it's live. But also, if you get it, you'll be able to see it, um, I think, either a week or two on the archive after that. What's the biggest message we can get from Boundaries for Leaders? Well, the biggest message is that leaders are going to find themselves getting the results that they either create or that they allow. And that means the results of what your culture is like, the way your team is, the way your teams are, the way the numbers are. Basically, the leader is ridiculously in charge. And they're going to get what they create, what they allow. And there are a handful in the book. I've got seven of them. Seven basic boundaries that leaders who get results tend to execute. And the ones that don't get results don't do it. And where's the book available? The book is available right now um, on Amazon pre-order, and it'll it'll be to you uh, what what's that early part of next week, so you can get it at Barnes and Noble or any retailer. Well, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us, Henry. Yeah, it's very very enjoyable, and it's nice to talk to somebody that actually has thought through this stuff. <laughs> well, thank you for that, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for listening. Feel free to send in your comments to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the VIP Jaswell Report or tweet me if you dare at VIP Jaswell on Twitter. Thank you for listening and keep your ears open for the next airing of the VIP Jaswell Report coming soon.